the anger that one parent can feel toward the other after a lengthy and expensive trial can, of course, spill over onto a child, and that diminishes the child's regard for one parent or the other, and that can affect the child's future confidence in his or her own com- competence as a person and as a spouse and as a parent. Hello and welcome to another episode of Jumping Off the Ivory Tower with Prof. Julie Mack. My name is Dana Cornwall and I'm the Project Coordinator at the National Self-Represented Litigants Project at Windsor Law. And I'm Julie McFarlane, also known as Prof. Julie Mack, and I'm the Director of the National Self-Represented Litigants Project. And today we have an episode entitled Judges and SRLs, Opening a Dialogue. And today's conversation is with Justice David Price. Yes. David Price, who sits in family court uh, as a family court judge in the Superior Court in Brampton, uh, Ontario, which is one of the very busiest courts in Ontario. And he sees self-represented litigants, of course, in his courtroom all the time. And Justice Price is a longtime friend to the National Self-Represented Litigants Project. He was part of our original dialogue event. And Justice Price is very committed to working to try to enhance access to the system for self-represented litigants by giving them assistance, by providing them with resources. And in fact, some of the resources that he's developed, we'll say something more about them later, are on the podcast website for this episode. And I talked to Justice Price in this first conversation about the importance of settlement and resolution of cases, which is something that he's been very involved with as well, because we know that more than 95% of these family cases are going to settle short of a full trial. And so he is very concerned to ensure that self-represented litigants know how to be settlement smart, know how to use the processes that the court offers in order to come to a just resolution. Thank Justice Price. Good morning. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. Really appreciate it. And I know that this is going to be a very useful podcast for family litigants to listen to. Um, And I I also know that you're very committed to ensuring that family litigants who are coming to court without lawyers, who, as we now know, are are more than half of those coming to family court, understand as much as possible about the process, uh, and not only their own role, but the role of the judge and how decisions get made. So we have planned this podcast episode with you and its sequel, which we're going to be releasing two weeks from now to offer some critical information, uh, straight from the horse's mouth, if you will, excuse me, comparing you to a horse, Justice Price. (laughs) So this week, I want to focus, and I know this is a special interest of yours, on settlement and resolution, and you have a long history of supporting and promoting decision-making that is by litigants themselves, avoiding the need for a judge to then ultimately force a decision on them. So can you talk a little bit about why you're such a strong advocate of decision-making by family litigants, why it's so important, if possible, that they can make these decisions themselves. Sure. Well, I think that the spouses themselves have the best understanding of their own dispute, although their understanding can sometimes be clouded by 
the emotions that accompany the end of a marriage or a relationship. Yeah. Apart from that, I think there are several real advantages that spouses can derive by making the decisions in their case themselves rather than having a decision imposed on them by a judge who, after all, is a stranger to their lives. The quality of the decision the spouses make themselves can be better suited to achieving their own goals than a decision made by a judge. The judges, the spouses are the real experts about the facts of their case, and a judge is unlikely in the limited time available at a trial, whether that's a few days or even a couple of weeks, to hear all of the facts that the spouses consider important. Those facts, after all, can arrive from the whole span of a 20- or 30-year relationship. In a negotiation or a mediation, on the other hand, the spouses make their own decisions, and they can say, uh, for example, we want to base our decision on our own objectives and on what objectives are most important to us. And they can decide for themselves what options among those that are acceptable to the other side will best enable them to achieve their objectives. Now, the spouses can agree also on terms that the court would not normally impose. For example, if there is a dispute over what contribution each spouse should make to the payment of special expenses for the children, the spouses can agree that one or both of them will contribute to a registered education savings plan that will be matched by a contribution from the government. That may break an impasse in a particular case, but it is not the kind of an order that the legislation permits the court to make without the spouse's consent. The second advantage, apart from the quality of the decision, is the cost of a negotiated decision, which may be far less than the cost of a decision made at trial. Information at a negotiation or a mediation can be communicated instantaneously. One spouse, having years of experience with the other spouse, is usually much better able to judge the reliability of the information that the other spouse is, is providing and to know when verification of that information is needed. Yeah. Yeah. At a trial, on the other hand, every fact must be supported by either a sworn affidavit or testimony given under oath and is subject to the right of the other party to cross-examine. So it's a much slower and therefore more expensive process. Even if one spouse is representing him or herself, which can reduce the cost of representation, there's always the risk that if unsuccessful at the trial, the spouse may be required to pay the other spouse's legal costs. And of course, those costs can run, depending on a lawyer's experience and hourly rates, anywhere from uh, two or $300 to four or $500. So I, I know, Justice Price, as well, that one of the things that concerns you very much is the impact of decision-making on children if there are kids involved. So would, would you say a little bit about that as well, please? Sure. Well, it's well documented that children of spouses who separate and divorce face special challenges in life. They, statistically speaking, they have 
a higher risk of marriage breakdown, of academic failure, and so on, other problems, depression. Uh, so not all children of parents who have separated and divorced have those negative outcomes. And one of the factors that the experts have identified in the literature that contributes to better outcomes among children in that situation is where the children are left after the whole uh, dispute has been resolved with a strong relationship with each parent and a high regard for both both of them. This outcome, in my view, is more likely if the spouses make decisions that they both can live with without going through a knockdown, drag-out trial that exhausts both of their financial resources. Yeah. The anger that one parent can feel toward the other after a lengthy and expensive trial can, of course, spill over onto a child, and that diminishes the child's regard for one parent or the other, and that can affect the child's future confidence in his or her own competence as a person and as a spouse and as a parent. Now, one of the things that I hear a lot from lawyers is that Self-represented litigants, people without counsel, are very difficult to settle cases with. Now, we don't actually have any um, research data on this at the moment, but what I do know from the work that I've done in my own research is that self-represented litigants are often settlement shy, and that stems from their anxiety that if they get into a mediation or a negotiation, you know, even for all the excellent reasons that you have just outlined Justice Price that if there's a lawyer on the other side, that they will be at a disadvantage. So one of the challenges here, I think, is to encourage and empower people without counsel to be settlement smart and to, you know, to take the advice that you've just given. So in practical terms, how would you suggest that somebody who's representing themselves goes about preparing to participate in a negotiation or or a, nego- or, or, or a mediation where there's a represented person on the other side. Okay. Well, one one factor that I think can help uh, self-represented litigants is if they understand the need to have a, a a buffer between themselves and the lawyer for the other party. If if one spouse is represented by a lawyer, the other is not. The lawyer will often be reluctant to discuss settlement directly with the yes. self-represented spouse. That's yes, because, this comes up a lot. Yes. Yeah, if, if there was a disagreement uh, in over what was said, then the lawyer can end up being a witness at the trial, and that yes. can compromise the lawyer's ability to represent their own client. So, so they're it, nervous it, about it. Yes. Yeah, and so it's, it's helpful to have a neutral third party whether that's a mediator or a person who's simply trusted by both of the parties uh, who can serve as a witness to the negotiations between them and to resolve any difference that may arrive, rise over what was said. And uh, at a settlement conference, that function can be performed by a duty counsel who can communicate on behalf of the self-represented spouse with the lawyer for the other spouse. So that's one thing that the self-represented litigant can do. Second thing is they can inform themselves as to the legal tests that the court applies in making any particular decision, whether it's 
custody or access or spousal support or child support. And a great source of information in that regard is the what we call the Can Lee database, C-A-N-L-I-I. Just to jump in, Justice Price, we have um, a primer for self-represented litigants on our website, a free primer on how to use the Can Lee database. Oh, good. Excellent. It's both in French and in English, and we've also just recently put up an, another primer on how to read a case. Great. So okay. both of those would help people. All right. So that's that's the second thing that uh, a self-represented litigant would be well advised to do. Third, they would be well advised to consult a lawyer before the settlement conference for help completing a settlement conference brief. Each spouse is required by law to serve and file such a brief before a settlement conference, and the lawyer can help the spouse draft his or her positions on the issues and the legal arguments that support the positions, and also can help the litigant draft an offer to settle, which is a key document, and a draft order in the form that the client would find acceptable. If the judge has a draft order, uh, it makes it much easier to know what the party's position is, what their objectives are. And I understand, Justice Price, that you have um, a draft template order that we're going to be able to make available on the podcast website after this so that people can see what that would actually look like. Exactly. And that that provides sample paragraphs from orders on a whole range of, of issues that normally arise in a family case. And I'd also just say that for the sake of people listening, if they're looking for a lawyer to work just on this piece of their case, which of course is something that many people may be um, looking for because they can't afford full representation, uh, our national directory of self uh, professionals assisting self-represented litigants, which is also available on the website, should give you um, somebody in your area who will be willing to offer what's called unbundled services, in other words, to work only on this part of the case for a discrete fee. Right, and and so the lawyer can assist the client just just to prepare a settlement conference brief, and that yes, can be exactly. very helpful. <clears throat> the fourth thing I'll mention is that can be helpful to a self-represented litigant is that they can insist on the opportunity to obtain advice from a lawyer before signing a binding agreement. Many times, uh, a litigant will be willing to enter into negotiation and to discuss what uh, an acceptable uh, outcome would be, but they feel nervous about doing that because they don't have yeah. a lawyer sitting next to yeah. them to advise them. Right, gives them time way. to go and find somebody to talk it through. Exactly. With. And I think that it's really important that people feel they have a kind of cooling off period if, yes. if they need one. Exactly. Uh, because these, these uh, sessions can obviously be very emotional and stressful and difficult. Now, one of the things we hear from people a lot who are coming to court without lawyers uh, is that they have been called to a settlement conference, and these have various different names across the country, but a, a meeting with a judge that is intended to try to look at the possibility of settlement. And 
I know from my experience of talking with self-represented litigants that they often don't understand what the goal of a session like that is. In fact, I think it's it's quite common for people to assume it's going to be a trial or a kind of rehearsal for trial in front of a judge. And I know that that isn't what the purpose is intended to be in settlement conferences. So could you could you say a little bit about how a self-represented litigant could prepare for and approach a settlement conference so they would get maximum value out of the process? The first conference, the case conference, is designed primarily to ensure that both of the spouses have all of the information and documents they need in order to engage in, to obtain the advice they need from lawyers for one thing, but also to engage in meaningful discussions with each other. After that information and those documents have been exchanged, the second conference, which usually takes place two or three months into the future, is the settlement conference. And the purpose of that conference is to enable the spouses to obtain input from a judge from the same court that would be trying the case if the case has to go to trial as to how any particular issue is likely to be resolved at trial. And many litigants find that with that input, they can resolve the issues themselves without the need to go to trial with all of the expense that that entails. So there are two tasks that the judge faces at a, a, a settlement conference. One is to complete a trial scheduling endorsement form, which essentially is a timetable that Mm. sets out Mm. all the steps that need to be taken before trial. So um, uh, a self-represented litigant can save everyone a lot of time by completing those portions of the trial scheduling endorsement form in advance, ideally with the help of a lawyer, The form can be obtained from the trial office, and I'll be happy to provide a copy to you so that you can put it on That's excellent. Thank you. The judge's other main task at the settlement conference is to help the spouses reach a settlement by providing that input that I mentioned. And and you would hope that that a self-represented litigant might come with some possibility of settlement, for example, having prepared an order that they want the court to make in advance. Exactly. And that draft order can be, uh, which can be simply a selection of the paragraphs in that template that I'll provide to you, sample paragraphs, it can provide a good guide to the judge as to what what each party is hoping to achieve. And the self-represented litigant can attach that draft order right to the settlement conference brief. So the the way you're describing it, Justice Price, a self-represented litigant sort of take a little bit more control if they come prepared to to a settlement conference. That's right. And and it's important for the self-represented litigant to understand that the judge at a settlement conference is limited in the kind of orders that he or she can make. Mm -hmm. Um, The judge at that stage of the proceeding can make procedural orders, for example, the steps to be taken before trial and and, uh, the the timing of those steps, but generally should not be making a substantive decision, by which I mean 
temporary access or spousal support or sale of a home pending trial, uh, unless that uh, order is made with the consent of the right. parties. With agreement, right. Exactly. So best case scenario, there's an agreement at the settlement conference. Worst case scenario, there is a pathway that a self-represented litigant can start to begin to set up that would take them to trial, but hopefully by the time before trial, they're going to reach an agreement on those issues as well. Exactly. Right. Justice Price, thank you so much for these explanations, which I know are extremely important for people coming to court without counsel. Uh, we are going to talk to you again in two weeks' time when you have very graciously agreed to answer specific questions that are sent in by listeners, and I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, but for the time being, thank you so much, Justice Price. Take You're care. All right, you too. Justice Price has a lot of really great advice for self-reps, mm. Uh, but one of the things that I liked best was when he said right at the top of your conversation that he believes that litigants are the real experts That's about right. their own cases, uh, more so than judges. Yes, and that will be music to the ears of many self-represented litigants. I think it really will, <laughs> yeah. And I, we're so, we, we like that so much because it's a, it's a really lovely, candid and honest and very real um, down-to-earth thing for a judge to yeah. say. It's great. And, of course, he's he's right that yeah. people know their own cases best and ought to be involved in the decisions about their lives. Exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, this is part of, of, of Justice Price's advocacy for good and just settlement outcomes. I, I think that one of the things that often self-represented litigants don't necessarily know or understand when they begin in family court is just how few of these cases will actually go to trial because that's everybody's image of what happens in a lawsuit mm -hmm. where there's any kind of dispute. And in fact, almost every case will settle. Um, the better way to do that will be to settle earlier rather than later so that the stress and the agony and the expense and all the other impacts on life will be mitigated. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that he offers some, some great advice, some very concrete advice about how to maximize the chances of that happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking to that is his great uh, recommendation to check out uh, his draft template right. order with right. all of the different um, options for SRLs. Right, with the possible options for settlement. This is something that Justice Price has been talking about and trying to push forward for a couple of years now, that the courts should be providing template orders to self-represented litigants so that what they can basically do is take the facts of their own case, which, as he says, they know best about, and they can put them into that form that will enable the court then to make an order based on those particular provisions. Now, he has provided us, and we have this on the podcast website, with a template um, settlement order. I would want to just make sure, though, that people understand that this is a very comprehensive document with every imaginable kind of uh, 
element of a settlement order included in it. And there will be probably only two or three sections in the whole of the 25 pages that are really relevant to any one individual's case. Uh, but he is, of course, very thorough. <laughs> and he has provided the language that people could use for uh, custody, for access, for uh, financial disclosures, but also for all kinds of other issues that might be less important to people, except in particular circumstances. And I think that we would just invite people to go on and to browse through that and use it as something that they will cut and paste from. That's what it's designed to be, to provide the wording that could be used to propose a settlement uh, that a judge can then make into a court order. Uh, and speaking of another kind of form of preparation that Justice Price recommends that I thought was really great um, was the idea that an SRL can have a lot more control over the outcome of a settlement if they come well prepared to a settlement conference. And I, you had talked in the conversation about uh, often people have a misconception about what a settlement right. conference is. So it's it's so much better, of course, if, if an SRL goes into that experience understanding what is about to happen exactly. and being well prepared for exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, you know, not every settlement conference results in an order, an agreed order, but there's almost always something that can be agreed. And I think that what Justice Price is really trying to, to, to make clear is that Self-represented litigants are going to be more powerful if they go in knowing that the purpose of a settlement conference is to at least get some base for agreement, even if that's just about production of documents or a schedule moving forward. But ideally, it might be a place that everything can be agreed, at least for now, on an interim basis. And I think that his point about retaining control is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And as a mediator myself, this is something that we always talk to parties about. Either you can make this decision for yourselves, or you're going to let someone who knows nothing about you make it for you. And mm. I think basically David Price is saying, make it yourselves if you possibly can. So Justice Price has very kindly agreed to return to the podcast in the new year. And he has even more kindly agreed that he will answer listeners' questions on family law matters. So we're going to be putting out a call today, but we will repeat this call on our social media. For anyone who has a question that you would like to put to David Price as a family court judge, please send it to us at representingyourself at gmail.com or you can tweet it to us, or you can put it up on our Facebook page. There are many different ways to reach us. And we will, of course, go through those questions. We will put a, a sample of them together, and Justice Price will reappear in the new year to answer those questions. In other news, NSRLP is thrilled that the Law Society of Ontario voted at its convocation last Friday to approve the plan made by its Access to Justice Committee to introduce licenses for paralegals to do family law work. The plan is to first develop a training and licensing process to enable paralegals to offer family litigants assistance with form completion, motions to change, and uncontested divorces. The second phase will consider expanding the scope of paraprofessionals more widely, including advocacy roles. The Boncalo report, which recommended these changes, came out in February, and there has been an extensive period of consultation. Nonetheless, there was some last-minute excitement at convocation, as a motion tabled by bencher Joe Groya asked for yet more time for input. 
However, a motion to adjourn was defeated. Benchers heard Ontario Attorney General Yasir Nakvi in a rare appearance at convocation call for affordable access to justice for the many people who cannot afford a lawyer. NSRLP's online petition calling on the Attorney General and on the Law Society's treasurer, Paul Shabbos, who has worked hard to build support for the paralegal expansion, garnered almost a thousand signatures and many eloquent and heartfelt comments. We extend great thanks to everyone who supported this, and let's keep the pressure on to move this forward. As A to J Committee Chair Howard Goldblatt said as the motion passed, we have to start, and this is our beginning. In more Ontario news, the Ontario Ministry of the Attorney General announced plans last week to ramp up online access in different areas of the justice system, including expanding the civil online filing system, developing a new system to update child support payments online where both parents agree to share necessary income information, and funding startups that are developing artificial intelligence tools for access to justice. Other proposals relate to the use of technology to resolve jury selection and traffic tickets. While not diminishing the usefulness of these proposals, we were disappointed not to see more attention given to the urgent needs of litigants without access to expert assistance. For example, modernizing court forms and developing smart form technology that provides users with assistance in form completion would be obvious first steps. We hope that one or more of these startups addresses this immediate and practical issue that causes so much grief for SRLs. And finally, following up on an ongoing story, a Quebec Superior Court judge has granted a temporary suspension of the section of Quebec's religious neutrality law that deals with face coverings. Justice Babak Barron granted a stay to Section 10 of the law, which requires anyone who gives or receives public services to do so with their face uncovered. In his decision, Barron went on to say that Section 10 cannot come back into force until the government adopts guidelines dictating how the restrictions on face coverings would work in practice. The court challenge was filed by a coalition of Muslim and civil rights advocates and Wardenaili, a Quebec woman who converted to Islam and wears a niqab. They argued the law violates religious freedoms under the Canadian and Quebec Charters of Rights, targeting Muslim women who choose to wear a niqab or burqa. The law has faced widespread criticism, stating it is unclear and unfairly targets Muslim women and fuels xenophobic attitudes. We will continue to follow this story as it unfolds. Links to further information on all of these stories can be found on our podcast webpage at representingyourselfcanada.com slash podcast. Next week's episode is my conversation with Alison Bowen, a former self-represented litigant from British Columbia. Alison has the unfortunate distinction of being a family self-represented litigant who was incarcerated for contempt. Uh, at the end of her case. This episode is called Judges and SRLs, Broken Faith. <laughs>